we are back. The first episode of Wizards After Dark, and I don't even know how long. I was on vacation, and then I was sick, and I had to hit up Andrew, my producer, and tell him that I couldn't do it last week because my throat was just too sore. Not COVID. I'm fine now. And now, for the first episode back, I felt like felt like I had to have a big one. I had to have a great guest. So, so back for the first time in I don't know, maybe a couple months, is uh, my my esteemed boss, David Aldridge. Fred, I hope you're feeling better. Like you when you're feeling better. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> I much prefer that. So, um, we got some stuff to talk about. We I, I haven't done a podcast in in a few weeks, and and there were some some. I'm going to say Wizards Wizards adjacent stuff this week. There was All mm-hmm. NBA with Bradley Beal not getting on there. Um, yeah. And uh, we've got a piece that we call Byline that's coming out over the weekend. We're recording this one on Friday at noon. And uh, we've got a piece that's coming out over the weekend that I think we're going to touch on as well. Um, did you did you think Beal should have made All NBA? I know he did. No, I don't think he should have. You know, as as always with these things, you got to tell me who you're taking off. You know, it doesn't. Fans do this all the time. They say my guy got screwed. He didn't make the team. And when I say, okay, who are you taking off? No, there's crickets. You know, <laughs> who are you taking off to put your guy on? So there's six guard spots. Harden and Doncic made first team. Lillard and Paul made second team. Simmons and Westbrook made third team. Who are you taking off? So I can answer that. Yeah, uh, because I did vote for Bill, so mm-hmm. I can very much answer that. Uh, I'm taking off Westbrook. To to be honest, Westbrook wasn't even my my next one off. Kyle mm-hmm. Lowry was my next one off when I, when I voted. Uh, Westbrook was great the last month and a half or so of the season. And remember, we did the voting before the bubble when there were eight because right. that's how the NBA did it this year. So the last month and a half of the season before the suspension, Westbrook was fantastic. He did. Mm-hmm. He was so great offensively. It was it was insane. It was the best, maybe the best basketball that he's ever played. He was incredible. Uh, unfortunately, the season wasn't a month and a half long, and I think people kind of forget that when Westbrook made the All Star team, a lot of the reaction and and including mine was, I can't believe Russ made it. He was really struggling the first month and a half or two months of the season. He mm-hmm. was even by his standards. He was wildly inefficient and could not make a jump shot to the point that they had to trade Clint Capella because he couldn't work next to another non-three-point shooter. And that was one of the main reasons why they did it. Um, he's a great player. If All-NBA had a fourth or fifth team, then I would maybe say throw him on there. Doesn't mean I don't think he's a great player. He is a great player. He's a flawed player, but he's a great player. Uh, I just I, – I wouldn't have had him on there. I thought he really struggled the first couple of years. I mean the thing with All-NBA for me is that there are always more than 15 guys who are deserving. When I was going mm-hmm. through my ballot this year, I thought there were 17 guys who were deserving. I, I felt terrible about not having Lowry on there and I felt terrible about not having Jimmy Butler on there. If we did a postseason All-NBA, I'd end up having Jimmy Butler on there. Um but it's tough. There, there are always these guys who you think are deserving, and uh, and you end up not being able to put them on, and you feel bad about it. You know? Yeah. Well, I didn't. Have, I wouldn't have felt bad about not putting Bale on. As good as Brad was offensively, he was good offensively this year. <laughs> um, and if you want to take Westbrook off for the reasons you you named, fine. 
Um, I still think he was, you know, more deserving, but you can make an argument that he wasn't. Um, I don't think you can make an argument under those criteria that Kyle Lowry was less deserving, you know, and Kyle Lowry's team was 53 and 19 and Bradley Beal's team was 25 and 47. You know, the records do have to matter at some point, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, they aren't the end all and be all and you look at other things, but, um, yeah, I just can't, I just can't do it. I couldn't do it. Um, it's the exact same argument I would make for Devin Booker, whose team again had a better record than the Wizards did. <laughs> you know, if you want to say Devin Booker should be on be an all league performer because he had great offensive numbers on a under five hundred team, you can make the argument. Um, I just think that it, you know, this isn't tennis. This isn't golf. This isn't an individual sport. This is a team sport, and. And in, in success of the team has to matter at some point um, when you're making these decisions. Um, and to me, it's it would be hard for me to to reward someone on a team. It's not like they were a game under 500 or two games under 500. You know, they were 22 games under 500 um, with one of the worst defenses in the history of the league. And it's very difficult for me to to say I'm going to put all of that aside because Brad's numbers are absolutely brilliant offensively, <laughs> you know, absolutely great offensively, and you know his assists were very very good. You know he did everything at one end of the floor great, <laughs> you know, but um, you know you don't this isn't horse you're not playing at one end of the floor. Um, you got to have. You have to have some accounting for the other half of the floor. You have to have some accounting for how your team does. He was terrible defensively this year. I've wrote it and said it a million times. He was was terrible defensively this year. It's my biggest worry for next year because he's slowly gotten worse defensively. He was was a little bit worse defensively last year than he was the year before that. And, you know, some people argue to me, well, it's it's just that he carried the offensive load. It's carried such an offensive load this year that he had to take a rest defensively. To which I say, okay, well then he shouldn't have taken that much of the offensive load. Then he <laughs> then he should have given the ball to Ish Smith a little bit more. And not, yeah, Giannis not been, has a big offensive load. Yeah, Kawhi has a big <laughs> offensive load. <laughs> yeah, um, they all do. Yeah, you know, everybody that's first and second team had a big offensive load. So, right. and on. we're not even <laughs> talking about being all defense caliber. We're just talking about not being really bad. I mean, mm-hmm. there are there are players who have big offensive loads. I mean, just just Devin Booker, Damian Lillard, you know no, those guys. That's my point. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So you can't just you can't just look at numbers and say his numbers are he's he averaged more points or he averaged more assists or he shot a better percentage or whatever numbers you're looking at when you're making the case because it is purely a numbers case for Bradley Beal. There is no other case for Bradley Beal well, to be all I'll say, other than the numbers. Well, I'll say the reason the reason why I I ended up putting Beal there was because it it honestly wasn't just the individual numbers for me. It was a little bit deeper than that. It was the way that he carried a Wizards offense I thought was extremely lacking in talent to basically top 10 for the majority of the year until the injuries hit them. Uh, and and so I think you have certain scenarios. Like I think Trey Young's numbers, which were honestly a little better than Beal's, I thought they were emptier. And that's not just eye test thing. 
you look at the players around Trey Young, you look at the players around Bradley Beal, and then you look at how those offenses performed. If you're going to be all offense and no defense, you got to make sure that offense actually does something for the other four guys around you. They ended up finishing, when they were heading into the bubble, they were 13th in points per possession. Uh, which yeah. is way higher than it should have been. And until the injuries hit them, and they had a lot of injuries, until the injuries hit them, they were they were top 10. They had a very high offensive efficiency with Beal on the floor. And I think the eye test fits that. The way he was able to create, the way he was able to score, actually translated to really, really good offense. Uh, I think the fact that Bradley Beal made an offense with, I know he's your guy, but with Isak Banga as his starting small forward, and and with major prominent roles from all these young guys who are uh, either developing or maybe not even getting to a point where they're developing yet, uh, the fact that he took that to legitimately good offense I thought was really impressive, and that was kind of what put it over the edge for me. It was really tough. I understand yeah, the people I mean, who didn't vote for him, obviously. Yeah. If you want to say he, he didn't win or he didn't defend, it's like, that's fine. I get that. I agree with that. Well, you got, I mean, how else are we keeping score, Fred? I mean, it's not, you know, this isn't, like I said, it's not golf. You know what I mean? Like golf was one guy. What one guy does determines what, what, what that guy's score is. This is a game where you look at the scoreboard at the end and see who has more points. <laughs> That's how you determine it won. So, you know, all of that stuff that you mentioned is, is, is great and, and admirable. But if you're talking about all NBA, the 15 best players in the NBA this year, I'm not sure how you can reward somebody whose team was not just bad defensively. They weren't just garden variety bad defensively. They were historically bad defensively. They were one of the worst defensive teams in the history of this league. And they were 22 games under 500. And they only made the playoffs because the league wanted to have an even number of teams in and they had to get New Orleans in. (laughs) Okay, so I'm not again, I'm not hating. I'm just telling you what 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 the criteria for me is if I'm picking the 15 best guys in the league. And I would have the same criteria. I will have the same criteria if the Wizards have a, a good record next year and the Rockets have a terrible record, records matter, standings matter, defense matters. You know, it's not the best 15 offensive players. If they had a category for that, deals in, <laughs> no question. You know, but they don't, that's not what that says. That's not what all NBA is, you know, because if that's the case, then Trey Young is all NBA. You know, so and he's not. He's not one of the fifteen best players in the league. I will. I will say, Bradley Beal is not the biggest snub in my mind. I think it's Chris mm-hmm. Middleton. Chris Middleton's the biggest snub. Well, you get yes. I mean, I I agree with you. I voted um, for Chris Middleton, and I was I more firmly had Chris Middleton in there than Bradley Beal. Yeah. To Chris Middleton, to me, was like a you look at the numbers that guy put up this year. He was as close to 50, 40, 90 as you could possibly be. He was 25 points per 36 minutes. He defends really well. And you look at the scoring balance on him and it's crazy. Like he scored from, I think people think of him as just working off of Giannis and, and it's just not reality. I mean, I, 
I, I want to say he, he led the league in pull-up two-pointers, which you'd think would be, okay, well, he takes a lot of bad shots. Except he shot like an outrageous percentage on those, like 50% on his pull-up yeah. two-pointers. Uh, a lot of his offense he creates for himself, and he's so balanced. He's, he was great around the rim this year. He was yeah. great from floater range. He was great from mid-range. He was over 40 from three. Um, plays good defense. I, I thought Chris Middleton had like a surefire All-NBA case. And when you look at the voting breakdown, the majority of voters did too. He was on the majority of ballots. But because he was split between guard and forward, uh, I guess he ended up being wedged into forward. Uh, and he didn't quite end up having a lot of votes because he got the majority of his votes at forward, the versatility stuff actually ended up, I think, potentially hurting him a little bit. And it's it's a shame because right. he had more yeah. voting points than either of the third team guards. And if they just threw him on there, he would have been the fifth guard on All-NBA. And, yeah. uh, you know, he, he would have been on there firmly. It's a shame because he had a great, great year. And it was just ended up kind of being a, a year of almosts for him where, like, he missed 50-40-90 by fractions of a percentage point. He... I think should have been all NBA and had the most voting points of anybody, not only the most voting points of anybody not to make it, but more voting mm-hmm. points than multiple people who did make it. Uh, sure. You know, his team ends up getting bounced earlier than anybody really expected coming into this. Uh, really a shame because he had an unbelievable year. Hi, I'm Tass Mellis from No Dunks on the Athletic. As the great philosopher Brian of the Backstreet Boys once said, everybody, yeah, hydrate your body. Yeah, everybody, hydrate your body right. Hydration's back, all right. We all know we have to stay hydrated. I've used an app, a big water bottle, post-it notes, and proper hydration is extremely important right now. It can really help your immune system. Believe it or not, dehydration occurs daily in three out of four people. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. I like using Liquid IV when I hit that afternoon lull. Instead of grabbing a coffee, I grab one stick of the lemon-lime, put it in my water, and I get that energy boost I need without dehydrating my body and getting dry mouth. It's win-win because it contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. Oh, my mate Lily would love it. It's healthier than sugary sports drinks with no artificial flavors or preservatives and less sugar than an apple. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target. Or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. Yeah, but the, yeah, but you know, the, the playoffs are separate. That's This is regular season. So, you know, look, he, I, again, I agree with you. Um, I'm not sure who you take off. You, you know, it's easy to say now Siakam shouldn't have made it, but this is a regular season award. This is not a playoff award. Um, so, you know, are you taking Tatum off? Are you taking Butler off? I'm not sure. I think it's close. 
Um, but I do think you're right. The split in votes probably hurt Middleton a lot, um, which is why I think they should just get rid of positions, you know, just get rid of them because it's, there are no positions. If we're, if we're going to say all year, if coaches are going to say all year, there are no more positions in the NBA. It's positionless basketball. It's switchable. Everybody switches, blah, 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 blah. Then why do you have positions for awards? Yeah. Or, or at least make it more representative of the way that we talk about positions now, like make it uh, two guards, two wings and a big or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like at least, at least that way, because Chris Middleton being eligible at guard and forward just basically says he's a two, three, because essentially the two and three, whether you even if you're someone who believes in positions to whatever degree you believe in it, the two and three are indistinguishable nowadays. There's no difference. And so that's why guys like Chris Middleton and LeBron and Kawhi, that's why those guys have dual eligibility at guard and forward. But if you just go basically point guard, wing, big, Chris Middleton's a wing, done. It it solves a lot of those kinds of issues because for the most, they're obviously still a little bit of guys who work in the murky territory. But, But for the most part, you can look at LeBron and be like, okay, LeBron's a wing. He's in the wing category. We're good mm-hmm. on that. You can look at mm-hmm. Kawhi and say the same thing. He's a wing for sure. And at least that that makes those situations with Middleton a little bit less messy. Well, you can, you know, it, it's, it, it does. But I think just going with 15 best players, regardless of position, would solve, solve 99% of the problems because you're still going to have, what is Tim Duncan? Is he, a four, is he the best power forwarder of all time? Or is it what Greg Popovich said he was, the team center? You know what I mean? So you just – you can't it, – it's very difficult to to make distinctions um, and especially in this era. So just call, just pick the 15 best guys. Just pick them and then you can – then you can make – and then a guy like Beal actually I think has a better case, you know, because you can, you can say – you can make an argument that is he, is he one of the 15 best players in the league this year? If you want to say that his off, you know, his offensive stats were just so good that you have to overlook everything else, at least you can make a better case when, there, when there's no positions as opposed to when you have to put, put him at guard. And you have to say he's better than Russell Westbrook or he's better than Kyle Lowry, which I don't think he was. So, so I want to get into um... – some of the stuff that we wrote, that's going to be coming out on Sunday, by the way. So so earlier this morning, Friday morning, Michael Lee and Ben Standick had a, had a piece out, which the comments cracked me up, <laughs> all, all about uh, essentially how the Wizards broke themselves in nine steps, yeah. representative of the Wizards having the ninth pick. And they mentioned KD to DC and – you know, the summer of 2016 and the John Wall extension and, and right. you know, they mentioned, uh, you know, all these different concepts and all these different moments that, that kind of that broke the Wizards over the last half yeah. decade or so. And we have a follow up to that approaching the exact opposite. Hopefully it'll it'll be a little bit more inspiring than <laughs> hopefully the readers will will find it a little bit more uplifting. Than this one, which I thought was really good and a worthwhile read, and uh, certainly uh, an interesting retrospective. Uh, and and I don't want to give too much of what we wrote away because I want to give people right. reason to read it. But I think there are certain topics we can touch on and expand upon, and 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 uh, and so we can we can hype this up a little bit. And and one thing that we wrote about, we kind of just phrased it as a conversation or uh, formatted it as a conversation between the two of us. One thing 
that I, I kind of wanted to touch on a little bit, um, is, uh, I think it was you, I mean, you know, we discussed it before we started writing, but I think it was you who first mentioned when we talk about it, about the concept of just, just kind of seeing what the league thinks of Rui, um, mm-hmm. this summer, or I shouldn't say summer, I guess it's winter now, whenever the off season is. Off season. Yeah. When, off season. Whenever the off season happens, <laughs> we're going to have to create a new season for it. Uh, whenever the offseason happens, just seeing what the league thinks of Rui. And and I, I'm i a big believer on just kind of always wanting to check in on what the league thinks of your guys. Because if you're – there's there's certainly a lot of value in thinking these guys are human beings and you have to treat them like human beings. And if you're mm-hmm. constantly trading – guys after their first year just because the league is higher on them than you are. That's a really bad way to operate. Also, historically, there's a reason that you don't see lottery picks traded after one year. Uh, you know, often they develop into something. There's a reason that yeah. we look back on, say, uh, Joe Johnson, Chauncey Billups, and we look back on those dr- deals being like, oh, they cut bait early and it did not work. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason we look back on those that way. But I, I, I threw out an example also of Michael Carter-Williams, where uh-huh. Philly – Michael Carter-Williams from Rookie of the Year and Philly traded him in the middle of the next year because they thought the league was higher on Michael Carter-Williams than, than, than they were. They got ripped at the time. They ended up getting what turned into the number three pick for that deal, and it, it worked out. Um, what do you think – let's say hypothetically – the Wizards are not going to trade Rui, by the way. But let's say hypothetically – the Wizards decide to quietly look around, see what they could get for him. What do you think, in conceptually, the league would value him at? Well, I mean, I, it depends on what you're, what you think he is best capable of doing. Uh, it, it seems like there is a small minority of people around the league that think Rui can play the three for example. And if you think he can play the three, then he would have a certain value at that position um, because he does rebound very well. And so if you think he's a three, uh, a good rebounding three is a very good good thing to have. Um, and I think he will score fine in the league and I think his shot will improve. So if you think he's a three, I think that that would ratchet up his value. Then, if you think he's kind of locked in as a four, we all—I don't think anybody believes he's a five, right? So, um, so you know, that's what I'm. It, it depends is the answer. Um, there are people that like Rui Hachimura a lot and think he's going to be a really, really good pro. Um, without giving too much away about what we talked about in the piece, I mean, I think there has to be some clarity about what he is before you can make a real decision about what you're going to do. Um, so you have to have some clarity if you're the wizards about what his ceiling is, what his position is. And I think, um, if they have that clarity, they can proceed accordingly, um, in several directions, but, but you have to have that clarity, I think first. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's interesting. And, and part of this is because of the shortened season and, Part of this is because Rui got hurt when Bonga kicked him in the place that makes all of us cringe. So it's so so I'm going to say at least a significant part of this 
We can argue how much. But certainly a significant part of this has to do with the fact that you only got to see Rui for like 40-some-odd games. And that hurts. When you draft a guy in his first year, you want to see him for close to 82 games, not for Mm 40-something. And it's not like he got hurt because of some sort of perennial injury history that makes you worried. It was a total fluke kick between the legs and then a total fluke suspension of the season. So mm-hmm. let's let's put it into context first. But one of the things with Rui that uh, I am really interested to see going into next year, because I think in this way you still don't really know what he is, uh, mm-hmm. is that when the Wizards drafted him, part of the things that they said, and I know one of the things that uh, Mark Few, Coach Gonzaga, was was telling teams when they spoke about so when they spoke to him about Rui, was that hey this guy started playing basketball when he was a teenager. You can't right. look at him at twenty one years old. You have to look at him as eighteen. And mm-hmm. I know some teams were like, no, he's twenty one. I'm going to look at him as twenty one. And yeah. the Wizards weren't that. I don't really know what's right in that scenario, to be honest, because both sides of logic really make sense. I think it's probably specific to the individual. Um, but the the Wizards thought, okay, we're going to look at him not as a normal 21-year-old. We're going to look at him at still the early part of his uh, improvement arc. And we so we think he's going to improve more than the average 21-year-old, even if he's starting at a little bit of a lower point. Pascal Siakam type or, you know, the obvious most extreme and obvious example would be Hakeem Olajuwon who started playing late. Um, If that's the case, then we'll start to see major improvement from Rui at some point, if that's true, because otherwise he's not on the arc. And I thought this year he was stagnant a little bit in the bubble, which makes me nervous about it. Uh, because if we're going, if he has a steep improvement arc, well, then you have to notice the steep improvement arc. You'd see improvement at a steep level. Uh, you would see it more rapidly. Otherwise, that steep improvement arc isn't there. Uh, but this stuff also isn't linear. And I think when you only get 40 something games of him, you just don't really get to know for sure on that. And to me, I think that's the most interesting thing. It's it's how much is he going to improve? Because there's some people who think he's going to improve more rapidly than your average guy. And there's some people who think he is what he is. And I don't really completely know the answer. And I think that's kind of what's going to frame his, what would frame his value, depending on who you talk to, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not encouraged by the Orlando play that really, you know, to me is a big old giant red flag. Um, he was not good in Orlando. And if you're saying that, you know, the, the biggest jump is between year one and year two. Um, and many, not all, but many people are saying, you know, the bubble essentially was year two, uh, because there was so much time off between year one and year two. Then I didn't see any, I didn't see anything that indicated that he was significantly better than he had been before the pandemic hit. Um, but I am willing to allow that this year is completely a one-off in that regard because of the circumstances. And you can't make any hard and fast judgments, certainly not based on an eight-game subset in Orlando without your best players on the floor, best teammates on the floor. Um, so maybe that's a bit unfair. Um, I'm going to need to see Rui take a big old step next year to be excited about uh, his prospects uh, as a 
core guy on a, on a team, you know, an improving team. And, um, that's, that's kind of the standard. I think I, I think most people would have for a lottery pick. Is this guy going to be part of a, you know, a significant part of a rebuilding team? Because by definition, almost all of the lottery teams are rebuilding in one way or another. Um, you know, I need to be able to answer that most assuredly in the affirmative after next season. Yeah, for sure. Let me ask you a question. You love you love Derek Jones Jr. I do. Uh, if if let's say the Wizards call Derek Jones Jr. and he says there's absolutely no way I'm signing with you. Um, I had a bad experience in Washington D.C. and I'll never live there ever. Uh, mm-hmm. Who is your next? Who is your next choice? For a mid-level exception signer. Well, I think look, I think you should offer the full thing to Joe Harris the second it becomes available, and he'll say no, but at least you offer him the full boat. I'd offer him the full boat and make him say no. Um, to me, he he would be perfect. Because if you're gonna, you know, if you're not if you're gonna keep, you know, Wall, you have to keep Wall. If you're gonna keep Beal, um and you purportedly want to re you know, you want to rebuild on the fly. If you want to put it that way, like Indiana and San Antonio have done over the years, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that as a philosophy. Um, you know, Joe Harris is, is to me, you know, the, the exact type of guy I would sign to, to play the three. Um, you know, he's, he's an, an elite level shooter. Um, I'm surrounding wall with at least three and hopefully four shooters at all times going forward. I don't know how else you maximize John Wall's value and you have to maximize his value with what you're paying. Um, you know, you've got to have multiple elite shooters on the floor with him. Uh, so Joe, if you had, you know, Bertans, Beal, Harris on the floor with John, you could have a pretty fun offense next year. And I'm not even the center position would, and you know, whether you play Achimura at the four and, Bertans at the five, or you play Bertans at the four and Thomas Brand at the five. I think either one would be fine, depending on what you think works out best. Um, that would be fun. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, I don't think he's going to, I don't think there's any chance he's coming here. I think he's going to stay in Brooklyn, but I would, that's the guy I would offer first. Now, if he says no, then you're looking at to me, you know, do you, it depends on what you like. I mean, do you like, like to me, a Rondé Hollis Jefferson would be kind of an f- interesting guy to look at to me um, for what this team needs. Uh, Jordan Clarkson would be a guy to me for what this team needs at that position. Those types of players, um, those types of threes. Um, I just think they need springy. They need athletic, which is why Derek Jones intrigues because he's just so doggone athletic that. I could well. I, I'm not going to say I could live with his def- with defensive mistakes, but I think he can make up for some of those defensive mistakes because of his length, because of his ability to, to move his feet quickly. Um, I think you could get him to be a passable defensive player. You know, never a great one. I'm not saying he'd be a great one, but I think he could help you become a better defense. And I think the the you know the potential rewards in transition on the glass you know, are, are just so intriguing to me that I think you have to take a look at it. Yeah. I think, I think Harris is going to get more than the MLE. Absolutely. That's yeah. why it's not going to happen. But, yeah. but you know, the only thing you're hoping there is that 
you know, they've put so much into Katie and, and Kyrie that, um, and they're going to have to pay, you know, they're paying Dinwiddie. They're going to have to pay Levert pretty soon too, if they want to keep him. that at some point they may say, Hey, he's 20, you know, Joe Harris is 29. Maybe, you know, maybe he's just a little too old and a little too expensive for us going forward and, and maybe call their bluff. I'm not saying there's a good chance. I'm not saying you're going to win that bluff, but it, it's worth to me. It's worth it for the wizards to, to put those cards on the table and see what Brooklyn does. Yeah. No, I mean, look, make the offer. Sure. Yeah. He's really yeah. good. And and no question. I mean, if you have Wall, Harris, Beal, Bertons, Thomas Bryant, I, Wall could be 85% of what he was, and that offense is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah. Thomas Bryant, I mean, one thing from the, bu- the bubble is really hard to recognize what's real and what's not. One yeah. thing I will say, I think Thomas Bryant's three-point shooting is very real. Like I, if it's I, real, then yeah, he, he it could be a real fun lineup if it's yeah, real. I, I don't know if it's real like it was in Orlando, but I think he's he is he has shown he can make that shot. It's not like he's shooting twelve percent on threes. No, right? I I I would not be surprised if he was a high thirties shooter from three with the types of shots that he gets to take, with how many drop mm-hmm. coverages teams run. Uh, especially if he's next to Bertans and Beal, right. where teams are going to gravitate to them on the three-point line. A lot of the threes right. he's going to take are going to be open. They're going to be spot-ups, his feet set, nobody around yeah. him. Like I wouldn't be surprised at all if he took three or four a game next year at 38%. I think yeah. that, that, that wouldn't I, I think be it'll be shocking. Fine. Yeah, and he plus looks you, very plus you have. You have, you do have, you know, role possibilities with him, and I don't even remember how many games he and John have played together. Was it zero? I don't even know. I can't remember. <laughs> Whatever it was at the start of eighteen, because he he didn't get into that rotation until midway through November, and right. then the bone spurs with John started to get really bad beginning of September, and that was when yeah. he missed a game or two and really started. So he he didn't play with with, you know, even you know. Relatively normal John Wall for more than a couple of weeks. Yeah, so we have statistical. Essentially, they've never played together, you know, in any meaningful for any meaningful stretch of time. So um, I would have no problem with that, you know, with starting with that with the, at the start of the season. And again, it depends on the draft and free agency. But if that's if Thomas Bryant's your starting center on opening night next year, I'm not like, you know, crying in my beer. I mean, let's see how it works before we make hard and fast decisions i would be i just think they have to fix the three spot i don't think there's a three on the roster you know that that you would feel comfortable playing 82 games as much as i stand for bonga i understand that the shooting pieces makes him it makes it hard for for you to play him as a starter you know or play him starters minutes um so they got to get that fixed and you get it fixed to me in one of two ways you get another shooter out there and you just say the hell with it we're just going to outscore people which is a philosophy. It wouldn't be mine, but it's a philosophy. Or you start to get serious about defense, and you and you go get a Coro or somebody at the three spot that can guard people. Um, and you know, so that's you know that's what I would do. I mean, look, even with the rookies, it's like what? Even rookies who become all defense kinds of guys down the mm-hmm. line, like even those guys, they're almost never impact defenders their first year in the league. It's just. It's so rare for a rookie to be good. Like a Coro could mm-hmm. turn into an all defense guy and he was a good defender in college, but yeah, he was a great just, defender. Yes. <laughs> but it's just very difficult. The Matisse Stibles are so rare. 
they're so rare to just come in and be really good defensively. It so rarely happens. You know, you get a couple of guys a year who are legitimately really good defenders right off the bat. This year it was like Tybal and, and Dort, and that's kind of it, right? I mean, like guys, even really smart players, it's just it's a, it's a speed adjustment. It's a talent adjustment. Well, it's it's, an, it's a rookie adjustment. That's, yeah. You know, rookies adjust. It takes them a while. But I, I would, I'm still going to take my chances on a guy with that kind of defensive talent getting to an elite level very quickly. And the shooting pace is the shooting pace. You got to work on that. You got to get better at that. Um, but their deficiencies on defense are so acute that they, you know, nothing else is going to matter if they don't start getting better defensively. Yeah, so, no, that's true. And, and it's I, definitely... And I don't think you can count on a 30-year-old point guard who hasn't played in two years with coming off a you know ruptured Achilles to be your defensive stopper. Oh, God, know? no. Especially <laughs> so, when before he when before he got hurt, he was not your defensive stopper. Exactly. So you have to you have to improve it through improving your roster. And yeah. that's what I that's what the that's one of the things I think the Wizards really have to start doing no, better. They, the guards, their their biggest problem defensively, Thomas Bryant was not good defensively this year, but their biggest problem Ooh. defensively is stopping the ball at the point of attack. And yeah. they need somebody who is not going to get blown by all the time. Right. Because, because, you hope that that's where you hope John can at least keep people in front of him. Yeah. You know, the the the, the dying on screens and things like that, that's that's a different subject. Um, but there's no reason if John's got his quickness back, that he shouldn't be able to keep most, not all, you know, the Aaron Farks is hard to keep in front of, you know, it's hard to stay in front of him, but you should be able to stay in front of most, at least to your point, don't compromise the defense in the first six seconds of the shot clock. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, make, well, them work, make them get to their second option, at least before, before they, before they take a shot, you know? Well, at the start of 18, the start of 1819 I'll make this point before we wrap up at the start of 1819 uh and I've spoken about this with John I will say John tells me that this was because he was hurt and he was intentionally mm-hmm. limiting his motion and stuff but I still think this was egregious John when you're guarding a pick and roll the way communication works is the big man will call out what you're what you're doing or whoever is defending the screener will call out what you're doing. So because he's got the vision, he's he's the catcher, you know? So he'll be he'll be calling out the coverage for where you are on the yes. floor. He'll be calling if you switch or if you're going to mm-hmm. ice or whatever. And he's communicating to you and you're supposed to communicate back. I have never seen a guy guarding the front end of the pick and roll. So John Wall guarding the ball handler. I've never seen that guy call for more unexpected out of scheme switches than John Wall did. <laughs> in the fall of 2018. It was wild. And so what happened was screeners started noticing it and they would start coming up and starting to screen and they would just slip the screens because John would call for a switch before the screener even got there. He would just hear feet and just call for a switch. And the only reason he was calling for the switch was because it just, it would take movement and effort to fight through the screen or go under the screen, go over the screen, whatever. And the big man would just be left out to drive being like, wait, why are you calling for the switch? What is happening? And guys would drive by. And often, by the way, the big man was Markeith Morris, who was never in a defensive stance his entire time with the Wizards. So so you so you end up just getting destroyed on letting the ball get to the middle of the floor. That is a thing. Those sorts of things are things I'm going to be looking out for with John because John says he's feeling better and he's moving better now. 
He doesn't want to limit movement. And if that is the case, that's the case, we shouldn't be seeing those things to such an extreme anymore because those sorts of things just eviscerated their defense. It is impossible to have a good defense when you let ball handlers get to the middle of the floor with an advantage as often as they did. It does not matter how well you defend those scenarios. You are done. The best defense in the history of the NBA, if you put them in that position, they're not going to be a good defense compared to the rest of the league. So those are the things they need to get better at. And and Wall and Beal are major culprits on letting the ball get to the middle of the floor. So we'll see, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Anything else? Uh, other, we got this two-part piece coming out Sunday and Tuesday on nine ways to to fix the Wizards. Basically, our our Wizards plan if we're running the Wizards. Um, anything else to uh, to plug before you, we sign off? No, that's 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 it. Um, you know, I'm sure I'll be writing more about the the playoffs next week, um, depending on who calls me back. Um, <laughs> Got a couple irons in the fire, but um, yeah, no, it's it's been it's going to be a fun uh, conference finals. I think the uh, if the first two games of the East are any indication, that I think I still think that's going to go six or seven. Um, I I think Boston's going to figure it out, especially if they get Haywood back. I think that'll be a big big help for them. Um, and I mean, I got the Lakers winning, but I can't sit here and tell you that Denver hasn't impressed the hell out of me. I mean, I don't think that you can ignore or, or dismiss their chances entirely based on what they've done the first two rounds. They've been spectacularly resilient. So um, maybe should, they should just tell them the series is 3-1 at the start and see what happens. <laughs> Do you see you see Mark Malone's quote, Michael Malone's quote from yesterday? I did not. He, he said, you know, we petitioned to the league to start the series 3-1 and they denied it. Exactly. So, so there you exactly. go. Exactly. Uh, we'll see if Chuck guarantees a uh, Lakers win. There you yeah. go. That would, that would make it fun. <laughs> then you start to get nervous about uh, about LA's chances. That's true. Um, that is it. I will be back with another episode uh, next week. You can read our stuff, like I said, on Sunday and Tuesday. Also, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, we have a $1 a month promo right now. All you got to do is go to theathletic.com and you can sign up there or click on one of my story links or David's story links or anybody else's, and you'll be able to see that $1 a month promo come up. Listen to the NBA show, which David is on uh, regularly and hosts once a week, along with a bunch of other great hosts that we have there. Um, I will be back, like I said, next week. I'll talk to you guys then.